if you're investing in someone's deal, whether it's real estate, a hedge fund or whatever, focus on what works for you. If someone's giving you value and you love it, don't worry about what they're making. So for example, when I have a mentor and he's not producing revenue for me, however, they offer a different value I don't have, like how to deal with situations with my mind, how to influence people, how to communicate better, how to become a better commercial real estate investor. People do not understand how powerful relationships are. Relationships matter. I get a lot of deals from it. I get a lot of off-market deals. I get opportunities for resources. We are so resource-rich as a company, and that all has stemmed from relationships. In a world where there's so much noise and information, one podcast is on a mission to cut the fluff and get strategic. A place where you receive the latest tips to expanding your leadership, optimizing your business, and ways to become a truly peak performance human. Now, get ready as your host, Jake Havron, is here to help you live the strategic life. Hey, welcome back to the Strategic Life Podcast. I'm Jake Havron, and today's guest is a CRE mogul. If you don't know what that is, commercial real estate. This man, it's actually really funny how we met. I met this man because I went to his podcast, not to be on his show, but to go and support one of my friends, Jeremy. And through building relationships, as we're gonna talk about in this episode, we're now here where he's in the studio, having this amazing interview. This man has a portfolio of over $500 million in growing in his businesses with what he invests in, uh, Alliance CGC. So he has the wisdom, he has the knowledge, he has the application. He doesn't speak by theory, he speaks by his own personal experience. And, and all the things that he's learned for being over you know, half a century on this earth. So you're definitely gonna wanna tune in because we talk about hiring. We talk about his first deal and what he had to do to build belief when he had no credibility to really show with past experiences, things that we face all the time with imposter syndrome. We talk about relationships and how to build relationships and the understanding of it and why it's so important. We go over just personal stories with how he started to learn personal development and actually giving tactical strategies on finding a root story that probably stems either good things or bad things and how to basically pull that root out and how to find the benefit in that so then you are actually moving forward in your life. There's so many things. This man is so full of wisdom. So it is a long episode. There is a lot of stories, a lot of application, but take it in, let it absorb, and just know that by the time you're done with this episode, you're gonna feel like you have all this wisdom just sitting in your subconscious and it's time to apply it. So without further ado, Sit back, enjoy, and take in this episode with Mr. Ben Reinberg. Let's go right into it. I mean, you're running a $500 million portfolio right now and growing. Yeah. What's the time frame from when that was $0 to 500 million? Like how fast did that happen? Well, I've been doing this for 28 years and there's no real time frame because we'll buy individual properties or portfolios of properties and sell them. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it ebbs and flows. Like I could be more than 500 million one week or one month. It could shrink down, it can increase. 
because we're kind of, it depends on the environment. So, yeah. for example, in this environment, we just sold four assets, and we're about to sell a couple more. But we just bought one, and now we're buying. Uh, we're closing on the twenty sixth of August a portfolio of four properties in uh, Florida, wow. which we do a lot of business in. So it can ebb and flow. I mean, I think the real important point behind your question, and it's a great question, is you have to be in on a consistent basis. Yeah. Because for me, I don't keep track of what we own. I just keep pushing forward. Mm. And I always look back and mm. go, how a good, you know, there's a saying, a good deal is when you look in the rearview mirror and you're like, that was a good deal. Mm. But when you're in it and you're, if you do all the right things, and there's a lot of variables that you have to manage and deal with, and you have to have a lot of people and resources working on these investments we have, these properties, because they're all investment properties. And it allows you to create that success. So when people always say, well, what do you own? And assets under management, I don't really get off on that. I don't mm. really look at that number. What I look at is what kind of returns did I make? What did I buy? How did I buy it? How I conducted myself in the process? What were the relationships came out of it? You know, I'm at the point in my career when I close a deal or I sell a deal or I make a million or two million off a sale or whatever the dollars I make. I'm, I'm accustomed to that, but I'm more about what happened in the deal to create the success. That's yeah. what that's what excites me. Yeah, you're a strategist. You, know? you love yeah. thinking about like, how can I improve this? What was the thing that was great? What should I look for next time? Right. Just like how right before this you were right. sharing, right. someone comes up and within right. a second, you know, right. and they show you a deal, you right. know, if it's a good deal or not, right. or if they come up with a problem, right. within minutes, you already give them a solution because right. that's how your brain works. So I'll give you an example. So yesterday we closed the deal and my cut is going to be seven figures out of that deal. I don't know what exactly it's going to be. But a lot of people be thrilled, and I am thrilled. I'm proud. But I look at like, what did we do in that deal we could have done better? Mm. Like, what were some of the nuances I don't want to go down again the road? I start reflecting on all the instead of looking at the success that was created, which is great, and I respect it, and it's great for my investors because they're going to see their statements and yeah. how great a return it is. Yeah, yeah. But I look at. The nuances. What did I learn from that deal? What did I not like? What could I get better? What What were some of the things that maybe we didn't do well? Do you that, find that so, affects your mindset though? Like, do you find yourself being more pessimistic in the sense, or no, looking at? I, the... I find myself um, no because other people give me. So you accept the good. I stuff. accept like, the good. You still accept, accept it, but your good, mind is looking for and it. And I have enough confidence and self-love in okay. myself that I'm good. That's good. That's great. And I continue to work on myself. That's how I balance it. I look at the negative. I look at the positive and I become balanced yeah. in my own mind. You know, people, there's the balance is an interesting word because there's no such thing as work-life balance. Yeah. However, there is balance in the universe with my mind is I'm looking at the negative, I'm looking at the positive. So I know the positive, great deal, money's gonna be deposited, our investors are gonna be thrilled, I got our publicist for Alliance, my company can go out in the world and promote it. I can now promote it on my personal brand, yeah. which we're gonna start doing, yeah. which is great, which is really weird for me because like <laughs> to show off returns and it's not stuff. How you, that's not how you grew up. That's not how I grew up. 
but it has to be done. Yeah. And so people are kind of pushing me into that water. And one of our marketing guys goes, oh, you have to talk about that. Like that mm. was the first thing he said to me. And so I look at things and I look at the deals and I say, okay, what did we do great? What would we do better? What did I not like in the deal that was maybe affecting my mind throughout the years that we owned it? I think this one we owned for like six years. Mm. So it just, it just ebbs and flows and you have to balance yourself. And our business is a really challenging business. It's a, uh, you have to have capital, you have to have access to capital. And if you don't, you got to figure out how to bring that all in. Yeah. And that was something I did when I was young. I have, I look back at when I get started, I'm like shocked that I was able to get to this. Like, I'm not surprised I got to this point with the hard work and persistence and the skills I've developed over yeah. the years. But I realized that there's qualities and variables that took place to get to that point. Yeah. And I feel our business is a very complicated, sophisticated business. We look at ourselves here and we look at residential down here. It's not that we're looking down on them. Right. It's a different sophistication. It's complicated. There's so many different variables you got to assess in our business to create success yeah. as an investment. Which is what I want to break down with you because, yeah. you know, we're going to, people listening to this right now, they want to understand when you have a 500 million plus growing sure. portfolio and how do you get there? What's the first step? And so we'll, we'll touch into that, but mm -hmm. there's actually one thing that you said earlier, which is that work-life balance. Yeah. Have you ever read The One Thing by, uh, was it Gary Keller? No, I have not. I've heard of the book and I haven't read I'm it I'm just yet. finishing it. Get this. Uh -huh. This is why I have to share this. I'm just finishing it right now. And Gary Keller in there talks about, God, I'm 99.9% sure it's, it's, it's Keller, is he talks about where work-life balance comes from. Because uh -huh. he... He says that it's not a real thing. It was it was a thing that came around in the 80s because mm -hmm. what started to happen in the, the 70s and 80s is women started to be more, um, work, they started to work more. Right. And before the balance, or there was no balance, it was the man was the provider, the yep. woman was the caretaker. And we're just speaking on just how society was. And women started to get more work. And so they started to have to make basically a media campaign about or marketing campaign about how the household has to be like a work-life balance. Now the, right. the wife is not always cooking. The man has to cook. Right. And he said, that's where it got fabricated. There's really no such thing as work-life balance. It's, it's all about a rhythm or uh, a synergy between it. You know, that's people mm -hmm. look at it like a teeter totter and it's not what it is. See what I learned. Uh, and I learned this recently is that if you, live within your mission and your values. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you, my values are health, business, personal development. That's who I am. And I, there's like seven components in a circle, okay? And that's my, my place. So that supports, those items support my family. Uh, I'd have to see what the other components are. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it supports all the different other how in my interaction with my family mm. and how it all comes together. And so because of that, I gravitate to that's I when I wake up, I gravitate to those things. That's my purpose. That's what I wake up and I'm excited about. Like doing. Your, your values. Yeah, those yeah. are my values. Yeah, yeah. OK. And those values support other things that are important to me, my family, um, 
people in my life, my mm -hmm. employees, you name it. And it surrounds my values. When I live in my values, I have the most confidence. I have uh, the most passion towards. And so that's my balance. That's where I go. When I'm not in that realm, it's not that I'm not comfortable, but it's not what I like to do. Mm. Okay. So the term work-life balance isn't really correct in my viewpoint. No. It's more about if you live in your values and your mission, it, it, that's, your, that's your balance. That's your passion. Yeah. That's what you love to do. And by the way, that's what keeps you healthy yes. and your mind healthy. Oh, yeah, and it man. helps prevent diseases and it helps prevent chaos in your life. Yeah. So negative is good and positive is good, but you have to understand the benefits of what yeah. happens. So I went back and one of my mentors talk, talks about root experiences. And I went back and started documenting all the root experiences that I could really recall and what I was wearing. I went back in that time and I, it was about an issue or a challenge I had. And so uh, I had a challenge when I was in college that uh, I was driving a friend of mine from Florida to the airport and he had a bag of weed in his car. And the car was white with black tints, Florida license plates. That's how vivid okay. the memory was. And this is, oh yeah, this is driving through Indiana. Okay. And it was a little bit different back in the nineties and late eighties. Mm -hmm. And so I'm driving the car and I'm driving back to the airport and we used to wear these like pajama pants that were pretty well known back in the day. <laughs> They're like sweatpants, but they're like pants. Well, why aren't you stuff. wearing them today, man? I don't have them. I need oh, come them. On. I, I need to find them. <laughs> I can't even remember the brand. That's 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 how long ago yeah. it was. So I was wearing that and I had like a leather jacket on, and uh the car smells like weed. This is way before like cannabis. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like... This is this is like stems and sticks and stuff. And so we were smoking in the car and he was driving. He was a year younger than me. He was in my fraternity. And I drop him off at the at the uh at the airport. And so I get in the car because my job was bring the car back to the fraternity and we were gonna mm -hmm. leave there was winter break. Cop pulls me over. Okay. And like I didn't realize he had a bag in the car underneath his seat. Somehow the bag rolls out. When I get stopped, I have no idea it's there. Cop no pulls way. me out, handcuffs me. I am in Martinsville, Indiana. It's the home of the KKK. Okay. I am literally in a prison cell. Okay. As a young man and freaking out. Okay. I call a friend of mine and his name was Jeff. And I go, Jeff, he goes, where are you? Like, we have to go back to Chicago. Like we're supposed to leave in a couple hours. I go, I am literally at a payphone in jail and I need you to come bail me out. They came bail me out. My roommate from college lived in the suburb next to me. Mm -hmm. And I just remember I had to tell my parents what happened and like the shame and the guilt that went on. So the reason why I bring up the story yeah. and the root experience yeah. is I went back to that moment. And what my mentor taught me was how you clear that because all these root experiences affect who we are yes. and how we move forward in life. Absolutely. And so I was able to clear the situation where I realized what were the benefits of my parents that I went through it. And, and I list 30 benefits. 
So he made you and, specifically write down every single benefit. Oh yeah. Okay. And how I learned to do this is I spent a day with him. I spent a ton of money to do this. And he's from Chicago like I am. And we sat in a beautiful uh, conference room in a hotel in the Chicago area. Mm -hmm. And I remember it because uh, it was recently, it was like a, a year or two ago, and it was a snowstorm. It was like a blizzard. And he called me in the morning. He's like, I don't like driving in the snow. I'm like, you have to like driving in the snow. You're my mentor. I said, I'm spending a shitload of money on this. You get your ass to the hotel. Like, I'm like giving it to him. Yeah. I'm giving him a pep talk. Okay. And he's younger than me, but like, we're both been successful in business. And he goes, all right, I'll call you back. He calls me back. And I go, by the way, if you don't want to drive, we'll do this like another day. I said, I'll be disappointed, but we'll do it. He calls him back. He goes, you know what? I'm not too far away. I'll, I'll go and meet you there. Go, okay. So the whole time I was like, okay, we're, this isn't going to happen. So I have, and we went through all these different experiences. We went through things in business, personal life, and, and I was able to see the different experiences. And so I would take a situation and I'd be able to see the benefits of that person on the other side and it allowed me where I was like, wow, because of this, this person mm. was able to get this, that, and like hundreds of examples. And it allowed me to start clearing things. Mm. And as I started clearing things, I became even better and stronger and more poised. And uh, it's been a big help. And I, wow. I do it. I've learned a lot. Personal development has been a big part of my life. Yeah. I've learned about where to create energy because I love to work out. I've learned about uh, how to treat my mind and how to deal with situations, how to breathe. Mm -hmm. uh, I've learned about how to balance chaos in my life. Uh, I'm very particular about who I input, who I bring into my life. Right. If I don't see something that's right, then I just, you know, I hate to use the word cancel because it's such a horrible word. I Minimize. Just, I, I, re Slowly I remove it. Remove. Yeah, I remove yeah, it. Yeah, I remove the it. I remove it. And it's not that that person is a bad person. It just doesn't align with my values and who I am and my purpose and my mission. Yeah. And so I've learned that there's more, you know, personal life comes into your business life. And I realize if I don't work on myself as a person, I can't be the business person that I know mm. I am. I know I was born to be a billionaire. Mm. I know that. I know it hasn't been deposited in my bank account yet, but I know that's who I am as a person. So I looked at it and I was like, well, what's the benefits of being a billionaire? So I can accept it when it happens. So I started looking at things and I said, okay, well, how do I deal with situations? So every situation I'm in right now, I could look at it and balance myself and know that the universe is, you know, there's a saying, whenever there's a challenger, there's a supporter. Mm. So if you were upset with me and you were challenging me, there's someone in the universe where someone else can, is supporting yeah. me simultaneously. And I know that. So if someone criticizes me, I know someone is also supporting me. Yeah. So I look at that person, they're criticizing me. I'm looking at them, like, eh, whatever yeah. you think. Well, that. the beautiful thing about that too is when you're on your level and there's people listening that are pretty personally developed, it's actually not even just there's one and there's the other. Most times if you have one criticizer, you have a hundred supporters. 
especially when you're really like living in your alignment, right? You know, it's like, you know, people, and it's the same thing on social media, and you're probably going to start to see this as your brand grows, but probably not as much because you are pretty brand aligned. But whenever you have some sort of brand around business and big type of money, there's always the trolls. Yeah. But you know, you get a hundred great comments and then one comment is the negative one and you focus on that, but then you forget that 99 of them were great. Right. So kind of just makes me think of that where it's like, for you in particular, you got one bad, you know, criticizer. I'm sure you got way more supporters in that proportion, right? It's like a 10 X, but I want to go back to the, the root thing because I like to deconstruct these things and sure. you're a wealth of wisdom. Like sure. there's so much. So people listening want to experience this and obviously it'd be best if you have someone guiding you and extracting the questions and such, but let's just think about like, first of all, what was the process that briefly, you don't have to give the whole details, but like that he did, what kind of questions was he asking or your mentor was asking to get to that root problem? Like, was he asking what was the most traumatic thing or? Well, just, it was more about, um, he was able, he's able to dissect who I am, which is his special talent. Correct. Okay. And because of that, he would bring up a topic and, or just from having a conversation, he would say, well, tell me about that. Everyone knows they can go back and say, where do you have guilt or shame? You know, we're, we're something that troubles you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm human and, and bleed just like everyone else. And so I can look back and look at experiences where maybe it bothered me or I wasn't comfortable or something I did wrong as a kid or as an adult that I'm not proud of. And that's what you do. Go back to that experience Mm -hmm. because everyone has different experiences. They come from different backgrounds. Uh, You know, they're so influenced by when they were younger because those are your growing years and your mind and, and your beliefs, your environment. So I suggest you go back to your environment, go back to when you're young and look at your transitions and look at where you eventually are today and go back slowly and just kind of think about it. And I think the key is to be in a room by yourself, quiet, like some people meditate and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Go back and and visualize the moment you're in. And Mm -hmm. that's what he does for me is. And it's amazing. You can really, what were you wearing? How were you okay, feeling? Okay, so he's guiding you. So he's oh, putting yeah. you in the scene. Oh, yeah. Where it's first person. This is something I just like, I like yeah. to speak tactically. Yeah. When you're visualizing, you're seeing it through your eyes. You're not seeing it from above. So when he's saying, what are you wearing? You're actually looking down and seeing that shirt. You're seeing your hands, like yeah, the room. I, it's not see it all. seeing the big picture looking down. And that's what makes it real, right? Yeah, I, I see it all. And I start, you basically go back to that moment. Yes. And you go back to that moment and it allows you to get clarity and then you can start documenting um, that. And it's an interesting process for me. And so for me, it allowed me to realize how to get rid of chaos in life, how to solve problems, how to mm-hmm. deal with things like and I could see it with people that work for me. I could see that they don't have that balance, but. And I can slowly, just from conversations, I give them a little glimpse of what they need to do yeah. to figure it out, to yeah. solve a problem or a challenge. Which is what any great grow. leader should do. Yeah, and you have to. I think one of the things I've learned in leadership, and especially people that work for me, is that no one's ever going to outwork me that ever works for me. Never. Hopefully someone steps up and they just get rid of me and they're running the company. Yeah, but I know 
no one's ever going to outwork me. Mm. You know why? Because they don't have the same interests. They don't have the risk I do. They're mm. not the one spending money. They're not the one taking the risk. So I realize that. So no one's going to outwork me. So that's one way I lead. And then also I know that I bring in great talented people that can make great decisions and I power them. And by that, that creates great mm. leaders to have people come in that you can empower, make decisions. I love when people make decisions mm. that work for me. I love people in my life where they're smarter than me or better than me. I thrive when people are around me and they're better than me at something that they're the experts yeah. in. Because I benefit from that and I value that. And it makes me be able to spread my tentacles wider yeah. to help people and grow and they grow and they benefit. So I've realized as I've matured in life that I don't have to know everything, yeah. but I know how to bring in the right resources to find the answers or the solutions or to help someone. Absolutely. So with my employees or people in my life, I can help them from my learning and my personal development of, have you considered this or you should look at this or... You should do this exercise. They might not listen to me, but they know that if they do, they'll grow as a person. Yeah. And 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 the nice thing is anything I do in life is either I've done it, I'm doing it, and I preach what I do. I don't preach something that I haven't There's lived through. Things you haven't I, yeah, not I, anything I do is I've been through it. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing about my business. It is. Is that there's not one person that works for me that I haven't done the job or ta everything. Mm. So I can know like where the issues are. That's really When good. someone's not working hard or they're not doing it or they're not putting in the effort. I could just by osmosis, I could feel the energy and say, something's off in that department. Something's off with that person. It's not making me happy. It's yeah. making me feel a certain way. And then I reflect back and I could say, and, it's from experience, but it's also from all the de personal development. Yeah. And I've realized that was something. So it takes me to where my next life is heading and is that is helping people and teaching people. So, for example, you said, well, how do you get into the business? I'm going to be teaching A to Z how to become a real a commercial real estate. Yeah, you're going to be teaching this. Yeah. Oh, nice. We are creating content as we speak. We're going to have something that's very unique that no one else has created. Mm -hmm. And we are going to be able to teach every aspect of commercial real estate, whether it be, you know, I am an office industrial and retail expert. That's where I cut my teeth in the business. I've built nine and a half million square feet of industrial and office. I own retail. I've owned retail. I understand it. And now, uh, last 17 years, we've been focusing on medical office. Mm -hmm. And then three and a half years ago, we put in veterinarian office. And then our new fund is specifically for medical and veterinarian. But I can teach all those different things. I might just teach medical office right. in my whole sphere that we're, yeah, we're, gonna, we're bringing in experts that are going to teach different niches. Well, well this, is, this is something that, you know, for people that don't really understand it, and there's, dude, there's so much we got to unpack here. But like, so CRE, commercial real estate, the big umbrella. Yes. And under that, you have different yeah. pillars such as medical offices. You have retail, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. We're going to dive into that. But I, I, I just, in the back of my head, I, I want to go back one more time to, before we go into this, is 
this 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 root thing because I, when when I'm interviewing people and especially hearing this right now, I, I feel certain things that I know people want to hear, and that's why I don't want to like let that linger off. So you get to the root, you get into that moment, you wrote out all your benefits of what happened and maybe not just yourself and what benefited, but how it could have helped some other people. So you're writing this list down. Was there anything else that you did to help fulfill this process and yeah. feel good? What was yeah. the other tactical I, things you did? You just, you, once you wake up, you have an, like an aha moment when you see it on paper. You know, one thing that people don't do as much as I do is in business and life, I carry a yellow pad of paper, a legal pad with mm -hmm. me everywhere. I, throughout my career, I mean, I've thrown them away. I used to be a, a hoarder, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to have file drawers in my office and you'd see like 50 or 100 stacked. And I would actually, it was before technology was prevalent, you know, and be able to like put someone on your right. phone or all these things we do now. It allowed me to go back and I would flip. I'm like, what's that guy's number? Or what was the notes I wrote about that situation, whatever. And in this situation that we're talking about specifically, when I see it on paper and the reason writing it down goes right into your mind. Right. And it really allows you to reflect. And that moment as I write down, I have the moment saying, I can accept this. There's a lot of benefits. Yeah, I wasn't happy with my behavior in that situation. But because I did this, all the benefits that person or all the drawbacks that was to me, I can learn that. Okay. I can accept it. Because you know why? There were so many benefits to that person that that happened that I actually did him a favor. Mm. So the whole time I'm thinking so much guilt and shame yes. when in fact it was more like, yeah, maybe I did something wrong and it was guilt and shame, but there was a lot of benefits that person yeah. from my from my actions. And that's that's the to get to your point. That's how it's it's more self realization. It's okay. awareness. But this whole thing is based thing, on awareness. The main thing is write down that big list and then constantly look yeah. that over and have those aha moments. Yeah. That's the biggest thing people could do is Absolutely. like write that down. Absolutely. I okay. would say in anything in life, write down your feelings. Write down a situation. That's why journaling is so it. good. Journaling is great. Even I don't do minutes. enough of it. That's that's my problem is I should do more of it. I because I, I do, think everyone's I would that. be well, it's because one, it would be so helpful for me. Yeah. And and I think what I'm afraid of is I start journaling and I don't want people to see it. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's part of my fear. I get down. you on that. That's my problem. Is that but a limiting belief? It is a limiting belief. How <laughs> we need to work I'll, through this? I'll get I'll get over it. I'll get is over there a root it. Maybe to this? after this, maybe after this discussion, I'll start doing it. Yeah. Maybe you'll influence me. So I started realizing that. Because I went back and I'm like, you know, every moment of my career, I was using these these legal pads. These, mm -hmm. They're yellow. It's got to be yellow. I used to have some white. I like yellow. I like consistency in my life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I realized that, man, I was really able to grow and develop when I started writing things down. So with that exercise or anything you do for your audience, especially if you're younger and you're getting started in business or you're just learning or growing in business, maybe mm -hmm. you're five or 10 years into business. I believe when you write things down, it is so much more powerful than the computer. I, you know, people are like, well, send me an email. I don't want to do that. I want to call yeah. people. Some of the people that work for me and some of the, like even my kids 
or whoever don't like me calling. I have to call yeah. because I am more efficient in calling you than I am texting you. Yeah. You're not going to understand your me my message. You're not going to understand my emotion. You're not going to hear the tone of my voice. You're not going to hear the sincerity or, or, or what, or the urgency. And I feel the phone is a lost art in this current environment mm. we live in. And so I go the other way. I'm like, oh, I'm getting on the phone. I love getting on the phone. Um, and I think I'm an expert at getting on the phone. Yeah. Because that's how I learn. Art of communication. Right. It's my way of communicating. That's yeah. my preference. So all these things to help your audiences, write it down. Yeah. And especially if you work for someone, okay, or even if you're an entrepreneur. Let's say you work for someone or you're in a meeting and you're an entrepreneur, whatever it is. There is no way, okay, on this earth that you can remember every single moment. Like You think you can. Well, we're going to be done with this discussion and uh, and I'm going to go back and have a conversation and say, oh, what did you and Jake talk about? I'm not going to remember anything because right. I'm not writing it down. Yeah, I might remember some points and stuff. I remember all the details behind it. I remember the deep dives on certain things. So when you write something down, if you're in business or in life or whatever, first of all, it's a respect factor to the other person you're dealing with. It's mm -hmm. important. It's also ability to go back and recall and learn from it and also to put it back in your mind. You get more productive actions from writing things down than putting it on a computer and not writing it down. At Absolutely. All. And that's the difference. I see people that... Um, I like the fact that like everyone that works for Alliance has tablets. We all use what Microsoft Surface Pros. Best thing I ever did was invest in them mm. because you could write on them. They're tablets too. And it attaches to your computer screens. You could bring it anywhere. It's a beautiful thing. Nice. But the tablet allows you to write. So it still gets that theory. Yeah. I still like paper. And I know people are like, well, Ben doesn't care about the environment, this and that. No, I'm fine with it. I'm shredding okay. it. It's going to go back into the earth. It's fine. It's paper. Yeah, it's yeah. natural. And I'm using ink. Okay. So the reality is that's what works for me. Right. So legal pads are going to stay in business as long as I'm alive. This guy's like trying to sell legal pads. Over no, there. He's, I, he's, but that's the case. He's, he's, the, can, the, legal pads, you, the legal pads are going to stay in business as long as me and my generation are alive. Because <laughs> we're going to write things down. Right. And yeah. I just believe in that. And that's, that's the art of communication, my friend. And so... It's so good. So writing down the 30 benefits, you know, that's something that's uh, I know people could take. And I actually I've done some processes like that. So but let, let's transition into the art of delegation, uh -huh. you know, because sure. you right now have, like we mentioned, a, a huge conglomerate. It's the Alliance of CGC. What oh, tell me Alliance this. Consolidated Group of Companies, Consolidated Group of Companies. So it's a plethora of different companies right. in different senses, yes. different industries. How many people do you currently have working with you? We only, you? We only have like seven to eight internally, seven, eight. but we have resources all over the country okay. that support us. So and the reason why we did that was back in the day, if you rolled back 30 years, we probably would need 50 to 60 people. I went back and analyzed what would you need to do certain mm. jobs. Well, the thing is we might have in property accounting, we'll have like six or seven people working on all the properties. So those people are part of our team, Okay, but they might not be direct employees that I actually Correct. hired. Yeah. And I learned that, I learned back in the day, you'd have to have everyone as an employee and we'd all be in the same office. And years ago, technology came on the scene, things change. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I just need a leadership team of 
four to five people for different departments. Mm -hmm. We need VAs and we need uh, key people underneath those departments. Yeah. Everything else could be outsourced. So I started outsourcing everything and it's worked out really well because if you find the right resource and you pay them enough money and the, and the, the, uh, the greenback, the US dollar goes a long way, yeah. okay? to compelling people and influencing them. And so uh, I have a big habit, I overpay people. I pay people a lot of money and I have a lot of resources and I treat them right and I've learned how to interact. And so what ends up happening is even though they're a third party resource, they're really part of our company. Of they might not be yeah. the employee, but even our attorney who we give millions of dollars of business with every year in transactions and leases mm -hmm. and and it's just it's like a river of of uh money that just keeps flowing but because of that we have a loyalty built in everyone that works for me gets great service uh we have the ability where you know our accountants are responsive they take care of things we set up processes yeah so because of that i'm able to leverage off of them and then bring in other resources that tie into them. Okay. And obviously with technology, we were one of the first companies to come out with an investor portal in the commercial real estate okay. industry. That was a huge deal for us. And that allowed us to not have as many people. I had five or six people specifically handling our investors because we had checks, stamps, envelopes, green ledger paper, uh, statements, uh, we used to have typewriters when I first started oh, in the wow. business. Then we became more computer oriented. And so back in the day, I had more employees. And I realized I, I didn't want so many employees. Right. I didn't wa I wanted more to make it more efficient. Better so I've sense. always tried to pair it up. So not yeah. even today, I mean, if we listed all these outside resources we use for the personal brand in our business, there's a lot of people yeah. that are surrounding us that back in the day they would have been employees. Now it's like, I only need 20 hours of this person's time. Correct. This person's gonna be full-time. This person can do this So who was your first full-time hire? I had even a kid, if way back? okay. I had a young kid who uh, was, at, was out of college. And I don't know if he was my first one, but he was one of my favorite employees. Okay. And I still think about him. I still touch space with him. And because he taught me lessons and he taught lessons of what a good employee, what, what creates success as a young guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, I won't get into names. He was from New Orleans. Okay, his father was in the self-storage business. Okay. Very successful, came from a little enclave within new orleans which we own real estate down there and uh and so he had this southern mannerism okay he great attitude he went to college in the midwestern south he went to the university of kentucky and he we put an ad in and this is this is like 20 years ago this happened and uh so he applied and he actually picked up the phone and called me. And he said, Ben, uh, I saw it was an acquisitions analyst position. I okay. think it was. And he, fed, he, he had all the requirements. Great kid, a little quiet. And so 
he called me. He's like, you know, I'm going to be in Chicago tomorrow because that's where our headquarters were at the time. And I said, okay. Uh, he goes, I'll come in. I'm going to fly in. I have to, I have to be there anyways. Okay. That was his excuse. Mm -hmm. It was brilliant. I, so I saw the whole setup. I'm watching it. And so he comes into the office. He's got an MBA from University of Central Florida, financially astute. He's literally 22 years old, maybe about to be 23. Okay. We're up in the suburb of Chicago. He rents a house in Deerfield, Illinois. Okay. It's got to be like three or four grand a month. And back then, that was a shitload of money. Yeah. He's a young guy. So, and he was with his, uh, his now wife and they have kids, but it was his girlfriend at the time. So <laughs> he rents his house and his work ethic was second to none. His, everything he did was gold. Everything he did stood on its own. Everything he did, I could turn my back and know that he could do it better than me. Mm -hmm. So we took down a large office portfolio in the Midwest. It was probably like a $40 million deal. Tenants, multiple tenants, Fortune 50 companies in the buildings, Class A office buildings, huge campus. It was probably like 400,000 square feet wow. on like 20 acres. I was really young. It was a big deal for me. He does all the financial analysis. We used a program called Argus. I used to spend like 20 grand a year, which was a shitload of money back then on this software. And basically what it did is it averages cash flow. I'm not going to bore you with the details in our business, but it basically averages cash flow. Like if you lose a tenant, how fast do you absorb it? What do you have to spend? Okay. What's the probability a tenant's going to renew? How long does it take you to fill a vacant space? It's extremely sophisticated software. Okay. It's not like Excel. It is like, really manipulating details. He was great at it. I taught him how to use it. He picked it up quickly. He was amazing. The thing that I loved about him is not only was his work gold and he was accountable, but he cared about what he was doing because he was living his values. But what he did was he was always the first one in and the last one mm -hmm. to leave. He made a point. It was almost like an internal competition. And I had a young family at the time while this is all going down. Mm -hmm. I had kids that were either, you know, had a pregnant wife or, or our kids were being born or my oldest was maybe three, whatever it was at the time. And, uh, and I wanted to get home to spend time with them, but he would stay till like eight or nine o'clock. Wow. Like we were working like these New York, Chicago hours at the day. And it would be like seven. I'm like, I always wanted to be the last one to leave. And he, so it was funny. So I would just wait. I would wait to see him leave. He was waiting for me to leave because he made it a point. His point to me was, I'm your best employee. I might be your youngest, but I'm your superstar. Mm. And my biggest fault when I was younger is I was penny wise and pound foolish. I didn't accelerate his salary fast enough. I didn't give him the hook of, hey, you should be owning a piece of what we're doing. Mm. I didn't have the plan in place. So would you recommend that now for people that are hiring, especially if it's a full-time person, whether it's a compensation plan that shows a promising future or even equity in the company? Is that what you do? I think what we've learned over the, is to create KPIs and to have bonuses off the KPIs yeah. 
depending on if you're in a revenue generating position. Mm -hmm. The hardest thing I've learned and we're figuring out is if you're an operations person, how do you bonus them? How, what, okay. that, that's actually really good. So, Let's touch up on that. How would you well, incentivize there's, someone? There's different things. You create KPIs for the operations. It used to be people in operations that worked for me and even recent, like it was more on emotion, showed up, did their job, whatever. All right, I'm giving them 50 grand, right. 30 grand. Whatever. Right. Or this person's been ebbing and flowing. So I'll give them something. But like if I lose them, I don't give a fuck yeah. because I'll, I'll excuse my language, but I'll <laughs> I'll I'll replace them. Yeah, because there's plenty of people out there. And it sucks to train and have that comfort level. So what I advise people is um, set up your company where you have these metrics and take the emotion out of it and just be more like everyone's a widget. That's mm -hmm. where we're going in this world mm -hmm. because uh, there's a place for everyone. I would say incentivize them. Uh, it's hard to find employees in this market. Uh, and the pandemic has helped that, unfortunately. Yeah. And at the end of the day is that everyone has different needs and purposes and, and passions. And so whatever your niche is, whatever company you have or industry. So for me, it's commercial real estate. If I have someone working, I want them to be living in their highest values that work for me. I want them to shine. I want them their own autonomy. So corporate culture is really important to me. And we're constantly working on mm -hmm. that, how to improve what the little things you do. So my suggestion is that anyone that has a business is create it where people are working in their highest values. Hire those mm -hmm. type of people. Hire mm -hmm. people that fit, pay them well, treat them well, give them flexibility because they will perform. So I give, I, we started something recently where I don't have a vacation policy. I don't say how long you have to go. I don't have to. And the reason why is because when you do that, what I've learned is people don't uh, take as much vacation because they're happy. And if they need it, take it. There's no shame. You need a week, two weeks, whatever you need. But take it when it's strategic and be mindful because you want to perform. So if in your mind you have to perform, you don't have to worry about people taking time off. They'll take it off when they need it, right? Mm -hmm. But if you give them flexibility enough where they can do things during the day but also perform, then you don't have to micromanage. And yeah. that's something I've learned. You know, when I was younger, I used to micromanage because I was taking I was taking so much risk at a young age. Yeah. So I was like, this person's doing their job. They're not respecting me. I got I I I can't do this. And I'd get upset about it when I was younger and aggravated. And I couldn't figure out how to deal with it. And then all of a sudden I woke up and I said, Well, what what are some of the processes we could do so I'm not micromanaging so I don't get upset? So I so, think so when what did you younger, do for that? Because there's a lot of micromanagers, even if they I, hire a I, video editor, they're looking at every single thing. Yeah. What was the, what was the mindset what, shift? What, the what I had to do is I had to start trusting people more, which I didn't when I was younger. So I did that. How did you trust them more? I just had to let go. I had so to I trust go. myself. Mm -hmm. I had to say, look, you're good enough to do what you're doing. If you teach these people and train them better, they'll be fine. They're not going to be like you, yeah. but you know everything, Ben. So why don't you teach them how to fish and let them fish, mm. compensate them, and then take a step back and say, okay, did it work or not work? Now, does everything work out? No. Do employees change their life changes where like you might have a woman that 
works for you. And then they have kids and they're like, well, I don't want to work anymore. You can't prevent that. Yeah. But if you could put yourself in a situation where you have people that are accountable and that fit the company culture and, you know, there's like a chart that says fit and performance. And so if you get look at the X and Y axis and say, do they fit? They're not in the bullseye. You don't want people in the bullseye, but you want people that maybe are in the upper tier, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they perform, uh, but they're not a good fit. Maybe you can move them up there. So there's different things mm-hmm. you look at. And I realized that everyone has a different role and different purposes, different lives. And so as I matured in business, I matured in life, I was able to take a step back and say, I'm going to start trusting people more. Mm-hmm. I'm going to establish processes where I'm going to know if they perform. And if they don't perform, they're out. And that's the KPIs problem, is right? what you're it, saying. Yeah. It's KPIs or performance, whatever you measure. And what gets measured gets created. Mm-hmm. And so I've learned that. And I've spent a lot of money to learn that. I've brought a lot of people in. I've listened to a lot of people. I've read a lot. I've talked to a lot of my mentors in the business saying, how do you do it, et cetera. Yeah. And every day I try to improve on that. Every day I try to improve the culture. Every day I, I want to hear from my... I allow my employees to get personal with me. People mm-hmm. are like, well, uh, don't allow employees to bring their shit to the office or, or have those. I, I, I go the other way. Right. I want to know personal more about the person. Why? Because personal flows into business. I want to know. I want to know what they like to drink. I want to know. Do they drink coffee or tea? I want to know. Do they drink at night? I want to know. Is this just wh- through casual talk? Just, yeah. Just, just I want to actually I care about vulnerable. you. Care about the person. I'm going to tell them about me. What yeah. my routine is. Everyone in my office knows I like to work out. Well, now they you know. got a personal brand. Everyone's well, going to know. Well, right. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm going to open up. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're going to know I work out, okay? You know I like to collect wine, okay? You know I like to wear certain clothes. You know these are the cars I like to drive. You know that uh, I get my hair cut every two weeks. You know that... that I'm from Chicago. They know everything I like about surf- you, Yeah, I mean, right. And that's okay. I, I had to accept that. Yeah. It took me a long time to accept that concept. And I think if I was younger and like to your audience is work on yourself, mm. be authentic, accept who you are. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. Pro- prove yourself to yourself. Yeah. And that's, I, people say, well, who do you compete with? I compete with myself because I know the best Ben Reinberg will shine to get to where I want to go as a person and the people I want to help. And that's, and I think all the lessons I've learned to date, I could share so much knowledge and experience. My uh, content that we'll be rolling out is going to be so powerful because yes, we're going to teach every segment of the business. Okay. I'm in commercial real estate. We use the, the acronym CRE. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the fancy term. Please, by the way, describe for people, because I'd say about, a small portion understands, maybe it's in real estate. Uh-huh. Take the complex of what you do in CRE and sure. what it's like and simplify that so people could okay. understand what this business is. So commercial real estate, the real foundation is you have businesses that are your tenants. That's the foundation. It's not individuals. You might have individuals that rent from you, but they, they're coming in as a corporation. It could be an, a sole proprietor to a, a large C-corp. You name it. Those are that's the foundation of commercial real estate. There's different product types you could have. Okay, 
So there's industrial, okay? There's office, there's general office. There's niches within each of these. So let's take industrial. Industrial, there's flex, there's distribution, there's manufacturing, uh, there's different areas of the country to look at. There's different criteria for the different buildings in the different areas, depending on, and there's all these variables that impact it around the world of how productive that property mm -hmm. will be and that tenant will be. So there's office, industrial, there's retail. Retail could be different. You could have a single tenant, net lease Wendy's restaurant or In-N-Out Burger to a shopping center, a mall, a lifestyle center, you know, uh, like here in Los Angeles in the Grove, which is a lifestyle center. You pull right up to the door and get out, you got all this abundance and it's outdoor malls. So there's all different types of retail. I love medical office. It's one of our niches. That's a segment of office. Mm -hmm. Office has class A, B and D. There's single story, there's high rise, there's flex, there's you name it. So there's different categories. So when we teach it, we'll be teaching those three categories. Hotels is part of commercial real okay. estate. And those are corporations that own them, operate them, and they have individuals that are staying there. There's multifamily, which is part That's of That's part of commercial? Yes, multifamily, okay. commercial property is anything over, uh, I think it's five units in a, in a, or maybe it's, I think it's five units is a multifamily property. And so that's commercial. So someone that's in multifamily, you know, they might acquire a 350 unit building and that's individuals renting, but that's in, that's a part of commercial real estate. So we'll be explaining how that works too. Mm. And so there's self-storage is okay. another niche. Um, Why commercial real estate though? People here, this is this was me for the longest time right. to be honest until recently right. i hear real estate and i'm like not understanding how there's so many sectors and i hear people say commercial real estate's the way you know like single family homes are the way or whatever it is what's your pitch on why people should look at commercial real estate i think it's the best asset class in the world why is because that? it produces wealth and uh i'm in the business of wealth building that's how you get getting rich is one thing Becoming wealthy is another. That's what my goal was when I was in my 20s. I want to be wealthy. I don't care about being rich. And what makes it wealthy compared well, to wealth what other is, people say? Is, is it continues over generations. So you're saying rich no is, matter what, there's still Rich is like gonna... I could have a couple hundred million in the bank and I'm rich, mm -hmm. but I'm not wealthy. I'm not, I'm not producing generational wealth. And is that because business and commerce continues to go? So if you have these medical practices- If Ben Reinberg such... falls off the face of the earth, it keeps building. Okay. That's the objective. So what about people on the other side that say, well, people are always gonna need houses. Yeah. I mean, there's wealth there too. I agree. Look. There's, there's nothing wrong with owning houses and fixing them and flipping them and all that stuff. It's great. If you want to rent houses and build a huge portfolio, why I like, I'm selfish. I like commercial real estate. It's how I grew up in the business. Mm -hmm. It's it, in the business world. It's what I'm passionate about. So I have a bias towards it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've owned houses and rented them and fixed them up as a hobby and done all that. And I look at I think the difference for me to explain to your audience is I look at how to maximize my time. The dollars are bigger in commercial real estate. Uh, the profits are bigger. Uh, the risk profile is a little bit different. I'm dealing, my tenants are businesses, mm. okay? It doesn't get personal. 
at times. Sometimes that, that's they will. what I heard. And that's yes. that's a difference. One thing, it was one of the things I didn't like about multifamily. I could have taken down some large multifamily deals and become a multifamily icon. But I grew up in Chicago, there was a lot of competition in that business. And I said, I want to do something different. So I got into office and industrial and retail. That was what I wanted to focus on. So for me, I looked at, I want businesses paying. I don't want to get the midnight phone call that the toilet's broken. That's the common, the common objection, right? Right. So that's one. Yeah. And so I said, I don't want to deal with per- people's personal shit. Okay. So I said, well, I don't like Liter- that. Literally and figuratively. Yes. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> As well said, Ben. And so, so basically, I looked at it and I said, okay, so I don't want to deal with the personal side. I want businesses paying me that are capitalized, I could pay rent. And I want to have a purpose for the space. So I started realizing like, this is something I like, bigger dollars, better profits, uh, can finance it. And, and also I can make other people money. So I started realizing that I could use other people's money to buy a $10 million deal mm-hmm. when I was younger. So I said, what a beautiful thing. I could use other people's money, get equity, build wealth. Commercial real estate has great tax benefits. Mm. We have the best yeah. investment in the world right yeah, now. Yeah, I got a couple of clients that do commercial real estate that well, I work with. That's why when people say to me, why is the Alliance Medical Fund so powerful? Well, it's powerful. I get cheaper cost of capital being a fund. I got great buying power. Not only do we have a strong brand that's been around for 28 years, but I can move quicker and I can really enhance our brand. Number three is diversification in a fund compared to syndication. And the fourth is scalability. So we have the, between having assets, medical properties that are recession and pandemic resilient real estate. Right. Think about the investment. You can make a great return, tax benefits, and invest in where the foundation is the human body. That's what I love what I do. So when people say, well, why commercial? It's because the dollars are bigger, great tax benefits. Uh, you're not dealing with individuals. You're dealing with uh, businesses yeah. and companies that are capitalized if you analyze it right. And it was something to me that I looked at all the variables and said, this is better for me than going and buying a house. Now, I have a lot of colleagues and a lot of younger guys that I follow and I look at and I think it's great. They do 70 flips in a year and they make a lot of money. It's great. I like doing it where I can buy 10 or 20 buildings in a year and do the same, do four or five X uh, uh, dollar wise Mm -hmm. in profits compared to the same energy and time I have to spend on 70 flips. So I look at my time. I figure out how to maximize my time. My time as a 52-year-old man is worth millions. So you're 52? Yeah. So so it's <laughs> People worth, probably yeah. watching on YouTube right yeah. now are like, this guy's like in his 30s. No, not my 30s. Yeah. Look, at the, look at the gray hair. Look at uh, that. He's love mar- you're married, right? Look at, yeah, look at the he's bags. He's married, right? Ladies, look, take look, at, look at the bags under my eyes. <laughs> but, but the point is, is that um, uh, you get to a point where... Uh, in our business, like I said, you know, the third on your on your back, third yeah. on your feet, third on your stomach, you get to a point where the experience really accelerates your growth. Share that again, right. by the way, for the people that so, being on the back feet. Someone taught me an icon in our business. 
I said, how does this business work? And he said, Ben, here's how it's going to be. You're going to spend the first third career on your back, your second third on your feet, and the last third on your stomach. And when you get on your stomach, you're really going to accelerate your growth. And that's, I've been there for a while. Because you're like swimming through things. You're swimming through things. You can get through variables. You can move quicker. You're more nimble. You can react faster. Uh, it's, it's the place you want to get to. Well, how do you get there? You have to, you have to grind, Mm. you have to show up, you have to do things differently. You know, one of the things that I did in my career and I still do today is I like to work on a Saturday. I know it's not sexy. I know it takes out of your farmer's market time or ability with your significant other or your girlfriend. Unless they like doing it too then. Right. However, what I learned was what are some of the ways I could differentiate myself? So my father taught me a story that lives with me today and I want to share it with everyone why I work on a Saturday is uh, his friend was a guy who was an attorney in the city of Chicago and he lived in our area and he was an upcoming attorney. He was at a big law firm. He worked on Saturdays. He was the only guy in the firm firm. I had a couple hundred attorneys. It was a decent sized firm in Chicago at the mm-hmm. time. This is back in the uh, 60s and 70s. He gets a phone call by a guy named Ray Kroc. Calls, him, calls the firm on a Saturday. He actually picks up the phone. So obviously, if everyone doesn't know, I don't know if you've ever been to a McDonald's in the world. They're all over the world. What is that? What company yeah, is that? Yeah, McDonald's. <laughs> It's out of Oak Brook, Illinois, which is in my backyard where um, I'm from, is, you know, Ray started McDonald's and, you know, you could watch that movie, whatever it's yeah, called. Founder. Yeah, the founder. Yeah. And uh, he grew it. And so he called my dad's friend. He was younger. He was maybe in his 30s at the time, upcoming partner. And that guy landed McDonald's as his account. What ended up happening? That attorney became the CEO of McDonald's. No. And his name is Jack Greenberg. Wow. And what so a story. Jack, Jack ran that company and grew it, and they became who they are. There's a lot of people that had an input, impact on McDonald's growth. He was definitely one of them. And so I take his story specifically yeah. and say, what happens on a Saturday? I've had so many historical moments in my career on a Saturday that have happened that have changed my life. Well, what's one that comes to mind? Well, I'll give you one. I had, I have one that I, I mean, I have a ton of them, but one that comes to mind is, uh, I had an investor of mine. I was raising money for a deal out here on the West coast and it was about a $4 million equity raise. And at back in the day, I used to do a lot of my own raising equity because I never trusted that anyone could do it as fast as me and do it mm-hmm. as well. I always felt that uh, if I'm the one spending money, I'm always going to have the vested interest. And behind that was when I was younger, we used to have a conference room and we always had conference tables. And I would say people would come into the conference room and pitch me like, I'll raise equity for you. Mm-hmm. I'll do this and that. They were never able to do it. So I said, if you're going to do something, do it yourself. But I do encourage you to delegate if you find the right people to do it. Right. Raising equity is a very challenging thing for people. It's tough. It's mentally tough. It's hard when people say no. Yeah. It's hard when people criticize you. You start, when you're raising equity, you see every side of human nature coming at you. 
and you have to be able to deal with it. So on a Saturday, it allowed me that the phones weren't ringing, the fax machine wasn't going, uh, my employees weren't there, and I had no family around me bothering me. So I could do it at home, I went in the office. And my tradition is when I raised equity on Saturday is I always have the lights off because the sunlight would be coming in. Mm -hmm. So I would calm myself, calm the environment, and I would stand up. And I always had a headset, which I still do today and uh, tied into my hard line. So the challenge was to me was one of my investors said, I don't like your equity splits. You're changing on us. I said, yeah, I'm growing in the business. So I've earned it. He's like, I don't like it. I don't like your structure. Okay. Uh, he was going to put in a million and a half dollars out of the four million. That was a lot of money yeah. for the percentages. So I said, uh, and God bless his soul. He passed away recently mm. and he was a big component of my business. This gentleman is, I said, okay, no problem. I said, that's okay. We disagree. And I said, your group, you'll probably end up regretting that coming in. I might get calls from the people in your group that come in. So I go on a Saturday. Okay. And all I could think about is I am going to raise this 4 million. That's my mind. If you want to talk about how speaking out loud in your mind is so important, when you can tell yourself, Ben, I'm going to raise $4 million on a Saturday and you go do it, it has such a rippling effect. There is, that's one of thousands of things I've done on a Saturday. So I go into the office. Lights are off. Uh, it's, in, uh, it's, uh, it's in Bannockburn, Illinois, where our office was. We just moved out of that office. And... Uh, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And I just, I literally took four and a half hours and I picked up the phone. I sent a text to everyone, hundreds of investors. Okay, I'm in the office. Uh, I have to talk to you about this deal. Great preferred return, great story. Mm -hmm. Let me share it with you. And I just start dialing. And no one's there, fine, next guy. No one's there, like a boiler room, just humping the phone. Mm -hmm. And just like determine, like, I am doing this. I'm not going to let go. I'm not leaving this office if I have to fucking sleep here. That's my attitude. If I have to sleep in this office, I'll do it. Yeah. Okay. That's my mind. And so about I'm getting, so I get my first million. Okay. I'm like, I'm like an hour in. I'm getting real fired up. I'm like, this is good. I'm like, this is a good story. This is a good deal. People are gravitating to it. Also another million, another half million, boom. Now I'm at 3 million. Okay, now this is the tough part, the last part. So I gotta really figure out, okay. So I get to 4 million. Uh, I call up um, one of the ladies that works for me. I go, I got 4 million. She goes, wow. And I go, okay, we gotta start papering all this. So sent it everyone, everyone gets in, they sign their subscription agreements. The Monday I get back in the office, the people of this guy's group find out that he turned down this deal. They heard about it, okay? They call me Monday and Tuesday saying, can we get into so-and-so? I'm not going to name the deal because I don't want to yeah. label anything. So I said, you know, Joe, so I, I said, Joe or Mary, sorry, uh, we sold out. Wait a minute, I thought you just opened it. I said, yeah, we offered it to you as a, 
a courtesy for your loyalty. You didn't know I was working on a Saturday, guys. But but (laughs) because I worked on a Saturday, I was able to get it done. Wow. Uh, It was a quick due diligence period. So I felt comfortable that the money I was spending was aligning with the money I was raising because that's the mentality. You're like, I don't want to be, you know, be 50, 60 grand out as a young man, 100 grand Mm -hmm. in due diligence. I want to make sure we have the money raised and everything else. I ended up closing the deal. we sold it, huge returns, made millions for our investors. And I go back to that story. Yeah. And, and That's your root story. Right. And the thing is, uh, the gentleman that recently passed away, I taught him, he was, he's 25 years older than me. And he might even be more, 26 or 27. And what ended up happening was, I explained to him, I said, it's not about looking in other people's pocket. It's about what makes you happy and where and your risk profile. And that was a big lesson for him to learn. Mm-hmm. I said, if I can justify my value to you and you're happy with the return and the risk and your profit, you should never look in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I think where investors go wrong, okay, that invest in other people's sponsors deals is they're so concerned about the sponsors cut Instead of looking at what's my risk, what am I going to make, what's the opportunity, what's the privilege? So every deal that you come in, Alliance, it's a privilege to invest with us. It's just the truth. We have a long track record. We have one or few people that care about it. We have 200 plus years of leadership experience. So at the end of the day, if it doesn't fit you, it's fine. But if you're investing in someone's deal, whether it's real estate, a hedge fund or whatever, Focus on what works for you, not about what the other person is doing or the jealousy. Everyone's jealous of someone like me, but I didn't become wealthy overnight. I didn't become Ben Reinberg or who I am today overnight. I've had a grind for 20 years. I'm still going through it. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still generating revenue. I'm still making other people money. It's just a little bit different. It's easier for me now because I got a lot of gray matter mm-hmm. between my ears. And so at the end of the day, don't look at someone in someone else's pocket, be happy with yourself and what you're getting for what you're giving. Mm-hmm. If someone's giving you value and you love it, don't worry about what they're making. Mm-hmm. And someone taught me that a while ago. So for example, I have all these resources and, and Linda's here. She could see the money we spend on all our third-party resources. She probably sees like, holy cow, I can't Shout out to Linda. Yeah, big shout out to her because she sees all the finances going out the door. And so, but when you look at it, we say, well, what's the value? Like her and I collaborate and we're saying, what's the value? Linda's your assistant, correct? Yes. And so we say, what is the value that we're getting out of this specific person or company that we're working with? So... Yeah, I might negotiate to say, hey, you know, we feel the value is a little bit less and we should be paying this. But mm-hmm. I also don't get penny, penny wise and pound foolish because I look at what can I get out of this? Yeah. More relationships, different resources. Oh, so good. It's you know, more than just the direct exactly. transaction. So, for example, when I have a mentor and he's not producing revenue for me, but what is he doing? So I have a lot of different mentors. OK. And, you know. Some of, a lot of them aren't even as wildly successful as I am. Mm-hmm. However, they offer a different value I don't nice. have, like how to deal with situations with my mind, 
uh, how to influence people, how to communicate better, whatever their niche is, how to become a better commercial real estate investor, how to manage employees better, better, whatever is happening, they might not have that immediate impact that they're generating rep, but down the road, they're doing things for me where introducing me to people, developing yeah. re, re, someone I could sound, give a, a, have a soundboard saying, hey, what do you think of this situation? Yeah. So at the end of the day, I look at those things and I say, that's where I invest in. That's so so invest in people or things that provide you value that you're comfortable with. Don't worry about what they're making. If I looked at my mentors and I wrote a guy a check for say a hundred grand or 200 grand, okay? Uh, I have one consultant I'm paying 200 grand right now, okay? But I look at his experience and his value and everything else for him to get to his point in career that he can give me all this knowledge and value that can escalate me to a different area. Yeah. So with my personal yeah. brand, I'm spending all this money and I might not be seeing the revenue yet, but I know that it helps Alliance uh, it helps all the people at Alliance grow and grow financially and spiritually and everything else that comes with it. So I look at that investment. I might not see the direct correlation to revenue yet, but I know it's coming in different ancillary benefits and, and intangibles and, and relationships. People do not understand how powerful relationships are. When you're in my seat and you're raising equity or I have someone now that does that in our company, and I still do it today, is that relationships matter. I get a lot of deals from it. I get a lot of off-market deals. I get opportunities for resources. We are so resource-rich as a company, and that all has stemmed from relationships mm -hmm. and cultivating and building them and enhancing them and spending money on them and having the opportunity to be in rooms mm -hmm. with certain people to meet these people that I've invested in. So... I always suggest is invest in yourself. Keep investing in yourself. Keep mm -hmm. investing in people. And that will create you, you know, I am a money magnet. And the reason why that happens is because I invest in people. Yeah. I invest in a lot of people. Yeah, business is, is a relationship game. And I think that's where, you know, younger generation people don't fully understand that. You, there's a couple things I want to add to this. So number one is business is all about relationships. You're so evident on that build the relationship, the business will come, make the connections. I've had connections with people for years where I never thought there'd be business. And then somehow there's a unique, unique avenue opens up and now there's an investment opportunity. I'm sure you've seen that as well. But going back to what you were saying, just because everything, I just want to make sure people are absorbing this, right? Because like, <laughs> this is so much, so much wisdom. It's really cool to see how your root story of your working on Saturdays was that story you just shared but that actually got rooted into you because of a story you heard from your dad right but now every saturday you're working from that and so you know for people to understand working on saturdays like a lot of us are entrepreneurs here you're working all day every day any day but like i do find saturdays being the ones that are enjoyable and think about it, it's 52 you know extra days a year even if you did 49 that's an extra seven weeks of efficient work where the energy is different because not everyone else is working. Uh, you know, you don't have as much distractions. I actually love 
basically setting off everything to the side. I'm not getting my, my phone's not calling as much and I'm doing creative work. I'm picking up the phone and calling up friends and, or I'm, what I do, this is the tactical thing. I just go through my texts and I literally scroll through my text messages. And I'm like, oh, I didn't send that person a message for a while. Let me just connect with them. And then now that leads to, hey, we should meet up for coffee. Oh my gosh, yeah, we've been busy too. Now we get to sit down, catch up with where we are in our life and business. And now maybe a business opportunity comes from. That happens on Saturdays. So I wanted to really unpack that, but what you were sharing with the value as well, which is so beautiful because actually it leads to a question I want to ask, which is there's a lot of new people here that maybe have never invested in real estate. Um, there's majority of people that probably invest and they're not going to be doing what you're doing, which is holding portfolios and such. What would your recommendations be for someone that it maybe has some money to put into investments or they thought about it. Do they need a lot? Can it be a little in CRE? Like how would you just guide someone that's completely yeah, new in this? You have to look at what, what you're willing to invest. My suggestion to someone that's younger is whatever you're going to invest, imagine if you lose it because you got to be okay with it. Mm. There's risk. You invest with us, it's highly unlikely you're going to lose money, but you can't. Not every deal is perfect. You might break even, you might lose a little, you might make a lot, it averages. I always tell my investors, if I go eight or nine out of 10 in my career, that's a hell of a career. Some investors think I should be 10 for 10 because I walk on water. We don't, no one does. And if they tell you that, they're lying to you. Mm -hmm. So you, here's the thing that you can, you can invest in commercial real estate in any realm, okay? In our new fund, our minimums are 100,000, okay? Mm -hmm. Because we're diversifying you over 25 or 30 properties. So you're putting in money over time, it's called fund. However, if you have some money and you want to invest in commercial real estate passively, which I, I advise for people, is you can invest with us, you can invest with other people at different levels, whatever's comfortable. But don't forget, think about if you lose that money, your whole principal, can you afford to do that? Yeah. That's when you should be investing. That's and great. that's the goal is making money so you have enough money to invest. And if you invest, say, hey, if I lose this, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, that's okay? Really good. That's where the fearless part, part of me and a lot of people come in is that I'm okay. If I lose money, I'm okay because I'm going to keep going because I know I'm good enough to make it back yeah. and keep going. So that's one thing to know. Two is pick a right sponsor, Okay. So I invest in other sponsors and other deals. And people ask me all the time, like, Ben, what do you do? How do you qualify someone? Here's what I do. I ask them, how do they solve challenges, problems? I use the word challenge instead of problems. How do you solve challenges? That's why I ask the sponsor. Because anyone can pay you a quarterly preferred return. Mm -hmm. For anyone that doesn't know, a preferred return is just basically almost like an interest payment. It's okay. ordinary income and say, so if you invest 100000 and I pay you 6% preferred return, $6,000 divided by four quarters in a year, you know, you get paid proportionate shares for yeah. that return. And what I would suggest is that when you're speaking with a sponsor, ask them, where did things go wrong in your deals and how did you solve them? And you're technically a sponsor, correct? Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm in those shoes. Okay. Right? The people... The reason why people invest in our funds and alliance and our deals is because there's not many better companies or people or that can solve challenges and problems like my staff and us. Mm -hmm. We just, we have a lot of experience. We know 
we know what steps we need to do to avert a lot of the risk and the problems. Now, things go wrong out, outside of our purview. So for example, we had a pandemic that we're just coming out of. And that pandemic was interesting. We collected rents during the pandemic in medical properties. That's a beautiful thing, what do we do? But if you're in multifamily and some of the uh, municipalities out in the United States basically change their eviction laws. Yeah. So now all of a sudden your cash flow gets affected. Cash flow gets affected, your investor returns get affected, mortgage payments, bad deals happen or struggles or challenges. So how do you deal with that? So there are challenges out in the world that affect investments, third-party forces. What I like what we do at Alliance is we mitigate those third-party forces by the stuff that we invest mm. in. But there's other sponsors that invest in different things, whether it's commercial real estate or, or I invested in a really cool tech company. Okay, I put a lot of money last year. I think I'm going to make a lot of money with it. I know nothing about this company. I don't understand it. I see it. I've talked to experts about it. I've brought in resources to understand it. But what I know is the people that are sponsoring it and how they solve challenges. Which is relationships. Yes. Understanding their, their, people. And their track record yeah. and what they do and who's involved in their board. Mm. So credibility, the rapport, solving challenges. So. What, to take my company as an example, why people love investing with us is because great leadership experience, amazing, incredibly at solving challenges because we could show it and prove it. Mm -hmm. We had a challenge. This is how we did it. This is the profit we made. Here's how we solved it, right? And so that's how I invest in commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. I, I invest in people and I invest in experience and I invest in what is the product type that is commiserate to the risk yeah. and return I'm looking for. So I'm conservative investor in nature. So I like conservative investments with upside. That's why I love medical and veterinary properties yeah. and the office and industrial and retail stuff we've done and, and still do. So that's the suggestion is understand the sponsor, understand that you can lose your money and be comfortable with it. And when you can do all that, then you could turn your back and keep going. Don't yeah. let them do the heavy lifting. At Alliance, we do the heavy lifting. Our investors are passive. They don't have to be real estate experts. If you're going to be an active real estate investor, that's a whole nother side of the coin. You better educate yourself. You better surround yourself with people that have been there and done it. Mm -hmm. You better uh, spend more time than you think learning. It's not a nine to five job, commercial real estate. It will never be a nine to five job. It's a grind. Yeah. Okay. Things happen. Things happen late in the day. Okay. I got to stay a few more hours. I got to get in early because I'm dealing with a different time zone or whatever. Or I have a lender that has an immediate need in order to get a deal close. So you need experience and you need to commit. You need to get into the deep water and walk in and feel comfortable if you're going to be an active investor. Mm. Which and, we do have a couple right. active investors listening, and this is definitely empowering for them to hear that people like you are going to invest in them if they could build a relationship. Absolutely. And show credibility. And if you're an active investor, one thing I could tell them is that uh, become resource rich. Your resources are your key to becoming a successful active investor. And I have a great inner circle of resources that are around me that are so powerful that not only elevate me, 
They give me confidence. They, I could turn my back. I know it's great work. It's better than I can do. And that starts with your attorneys, your accountants, your third parties, whether it's engineers, architects, uh, you know, uh, anything in our business. Mm. Uh, property management, if you're going to third party it or you're going to bring it in-house. So you have all these different decisions. And if you're younger and you're starting off in the business, you have to be patient. Patience is a real thing that happens in our business. It is a marathon business, our business. Don't get in and think, okay, I'm going to get rich quick. Right. And if you see anyone on social media and they're telling you that, run. Because it's not the truth. Yeah. It's, that's not the way commercial real estate works. Yeah. It is a grind. It takes time. But I can tell you, when you do what I've done and you stick with it and you're persistent and you show up every day and you're consistent and you continue to work on yourself and grow and you bring in third-party resources, there's no better business okay. in the world. There's no better way to make a lot of money yeah. and build wealth. That's my personal opinion. Now, you, you have to realize I have investors from all parts of life, you know, traders that traded commodities to stocks to bonds. I have people that ran huge Fortune 25 companies, CEOs. Uh, I have people that built businesses from the ground up and are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They're icons in what they do. But they don't understand commercial real estate. That's why they invest with me. Mm. So because they trust you, they see you your credibility, all become these become the expert. Yeah. You know, there's a saying is that when you produce value, money follows. Yeah. Okay. Amen. So I don't worry about making money. What I worry about is learning and being the expert and, and differentiating yourself by being so knowledgeable and having great resources and great marketing and great processes that the money will just follow. Yeah. I don't count how much money I make a year. People are like, oh, well, I made 10 million or 20 million or 5 million or 100 million. I don't care. Yeah. I care about what's the value I'm providing because the money just comes. And what an active investor that I could share with these people that listen or anyone that wants to invest passively, whatever your business is, if you could be present in the moment and not worry about the future and not look back at the past. And this is something I've had to learn. I always had to reflect when I was younger, I had to reflect back at the past or think about like, how do I get to this point instead of being in the present? And being in that moment saying, okay, how do I enhance myself now? Because all I have is not, I could be dead tomorrow. I could be dead in a week and I can't change my past. I can learn from it. So if I could be present in the moment and say, okay, what do I have to do to be the best commercial real estate investor? What do I have to do to be the best employee? What do I have to do to be the best father? Okay, what do I have to do to uh, be the best person to my significant other? What do I have to do? And that's living in the present moment. And I think commercial real estate is so complicated and sophisticated that I think if you worry about the future or, the, or look mm -hmm. at the past and say, hey, I, I did a bad deal or I did this, that's not how, how you'll create success. You'll create success from being present, being persistent, uh, constantly networking, bringing in resources. And these are the things that create value. Mm -hmm. And when you create value, the money just shows up in your bank account. That's beautiful. Right? Man. That's why I said, so look at the example. I said, we had a closing on Friday. I have no idea what I made. I know I made seven figures. Yeah. But I'm thinking about to go back to our conversation is what happened in the deal? What was the value I provided? 
What did I not provide? What did I do bad? What did I tolerate that I shouldn't have? What did I bring into the deal from resources, which I know? Yeah. I had someone else uh, who's managing that property than from when I originally started. It was a big difference. And I note that. Because mm. then when I sit down with that person and we review it, I don't forget that yeah. moment. Because so I know, nuggets. like, my employees don't realize, like, I think about these things. Right. I think about... But most people I don't. Think That's about, why they're not used to that. Well, I think about what happened in the deal yeah. and who had a part of it, okay, and why it was value created or what did I do that was... Or how did we sell it? You know, how did we sell it better? What did we do? So every deal, we reflect back. Mm. And I do this. I have one investment sales broker that I taught the business and who's really grown with me. He's done billions of dollars transaction. He's one of the best in the business now for what he does. And I'm really proud of him. And he's a good friend. And we look back every deal. And I said, what do we learn from that? So one of the things we started doing years ago is I said, you know, when I was younger, we created a war room because this company out of San Diego, he's like, oh yeah, we could do that. Let's do a Dropbox. And so now what we do is we put together such a great package for a buyer that it's so professionally done because it's what I want as a buyer. So I always put myself in mm -hmm. everyone's shoes. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I'm buying a property and the whole goal is to get the person to say yes, get through due diligence, waive their due diligence period. We call it going hard. Hard on your earnest money, go to closing. So what ends up happening is how do you get someone to say yes? You create a great package. So over the years, we've learned how to get someone to say yes. Mm. And it's a secret sauce to doing that. What it is, is giving them all the information you need to buy the deal, but also letting them know where are the challenges that are facing them. Need a new roof. There's an issue here. Tenants leaving, underwrite it. That's why we're asking this mm -hmm. price. And what I found is when you do that, what I call is letting people know the train's coming so they can get off the tracks. Mm. When you can let people know the train's coming so they can get off the tracks and protect themselves, guess what? You get either close to your price, you might get more, you, you, you maximize returns, yeah. benefit your investors, successful sale, build your track record, and it allows you to keep going. And by the way, it, it allows you to prevent future litigation because you, you masked something or you weren't up front with someone yes. of something you knew yeah. and the knowledge you had. Dude, so, that right there, yeah. I just want to, like, no matter what business you're in, that is an important policy and, and principle because... It's like what I, what I say, it's like, it's called probing for problems, right. you know, whether you can lay up the problems up front, like you yeah. did, we're going to go through this, 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 or you got to ask those questions, but I'm sure you built so much trust by doing that. Not only do you build trust, but like, wow, this person actually is showing me the potential downsides. So hopefully they could fix it. And that's where you got to show the solution, but you're not just showing all of like, you're going to make this money. This is what we're going to happen. And that sometimes looks like a big fat claim. It, you know, I speak on influence and sales. So that's, I use these terminologies. But I love that is like your your wisdom you're sharing all right now. I hope you listening just let's take a just deep breath because <laughs> this is a this is a, yeah, a very packed I, episode. Is, I've been through a lot of deals and a lot of people that it oozes out of me. It, it just oozes out. So yeah. take a deep breath right now. You're listening, and just let this knowledge. You might have to play this one back and and re how he's sharing this but he's just sharing stories he's sharing application but let it sit in your subconscious because there's i mean i'm picking up things like the way that he 
builds trust, the way that he's going out and picking up the phone on Saturday and having resilience and not saying, I'm going to leave until I get my $4 million. Like, yes, that might not be you in your situation trying to get $4 million, but what about when you're trying to maybe get your first five sales of your business or you're trying to scale and hit your first 100K month? Like, are you having those Saturdays where you are going to go in and do it all out? And you know what? Like, if he can do it, you know, this guy from Chicago who you were sharing a story off, off camera, which was uh, at eight years old, you were hustling for money to get your Slurpees. You know, you were yeah, out there at wheeling dealing as an entrepreneur, but like, you didn't grow into this. You just have a, a tenacity to, to become something. It's not like you were handed all this success. And I think that's just so powerful for us. And for me, I'm just sitting back and listening right now because I'm learning a lot. I'm allowing you to extract this, not just for me, but for the, the people behind this camera. But, you know, one question that comes up that I think is going to be very, very tactical and, um, uh, I think a lot of people appreciate is walk us back to your very first deal that you closed. Sure. And the reason why I ask this question is because you talked about credibility and a lot of people face imposter syndrome. They face, well, I don't have all these deals to show them or the testimonials or the transformations I created. What was your first deal and how did you bring belief to someone to give you money when maybe you didn't have well, any experience before? Before I explain it, I want to give everyone a concept. Yeah, Because I think it's really important. Especially when I was younger, uh, I instilled this in myself. I don't believe in the word can't, shouldn't, wouldn't. I don't believe in contractions, especially the word can't. Mm. Can't to me is an I, evil word. I keep word. that out too, yeah. Okay? Yeah. Uh, you'll never hear that of my kids. Even saying, I, I can't wait to see you, I, I cut that out. Like so a lot of people say, yeah. I can't wait to see you. I can't, can't wait to yeah. be so fun. Don't my, say that. My, you'll never hear out of my three kids those words because mm. I instilled it in them because I never wanted them to believe they couldn't do something. Mm. And that's why I empower people. I don't believe in the word can't. So to go back to my first deal is uh, I, I didn't come from money. I didn't have anything. I didn't have a balance sheet. And I tied up an industrial deal. It was a 310 industrial deal. And uh, I had a raise. It was a ton of money back then. It was at least a few million dollars. I don't recall the exact amount, but it was a lot of money. And, uh, and I had to get a loan. And so I sat back and I figured out, okay, if I can get the loan, then you'll find the money. You live in... A, Chicago and the North suburbs, there's a lot of money. You just mm -hmm. have to meet people. And no one helped me. So I went to my godfather and he sat on the board of, uh, he was an Italian gentleman and he had a huge milk dairy business. He did mm -hmm. really well. And he lived in Highwood and uh, he was my godfather and he was important to me. And uh, his first name was Bruno. And uh, he was an Italian gentleman and old school. And, and, I, and I called him and I said, can I, can I, uh, can I uh, have coffee with you? And back then there was no Starbucks. Like you go to someone's office and like, you know, the secretary is bringing out a styrofoam cup of coffee. <laughs> and, you know, do you want cream or sugar in it? I mean, it's old yeah, school yeah. stuff. And I am dressed in a suit, always dressed to the nines. And, uh, and we can get into dressing too, because I think that's important for people. I'm a little bit different now because it's not as sensitive to me. But so Bruno, I said, I need a loan for this property. And uh, I was really young, 
no experience, just like some of your audience, and very a lot of fear. What am I going to do? What if this deal doesn't work? Are my parents going to look at me like you're an idiot? Why would you try that? Or friends, go get a job. Because failure wasn't really acceptable back then. Mm -hmm. It was like, if you fail, you're not in the right position or right niche. Go do something else. You want to be a real estate investor that doesn't work? Go be a CPA then because you have an accounting degree and background. Go be an insurance guy. You know, that's the thought process. So I had to change my mindset and my culture because it wasn't acceptable back then like it is now. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe in the word can't. And so... Uh, somehow, some way, I got a loan. God bless God. I, I have no, I have no idea how it happened, but I got it. Okay, it was I packaged it well. I ran numbers. I explained the downside, and I gave a good presentation to Bruno. Were and you his like colleagues. preparing multiple days before? Did you? Yeah, I, I prepped. Yeah, I was prepped. ready. I knew everything about the deal. I okay. knew everything about the market. I was yeah. the expert. I said, I knew as a young man. I said how I have to overcome my shortcomings is. I have to be an expert. In That's what I'm it right pitching. there, man. You got to know, know your stuff. Right? Because my competency is going to create value and yes. rapport. And I learned this at a young age. If I do this now, I'm going to have the ability to be able to achieve what I want to do. And so hold, hold that story yeah. real quick. My competency is what's going to perceive and create the value. If you feel like you don't have the track record yet, this is a story of my life too. Go learn every single thing about the business, the deal, the, the objections. Basically, understand this is something I tell people: is write down all the objections that could come up, and then write all the answers you would give. But like, be so competent, as you said, that that perceived value for the person. And and hey, you got the loan. So so good. So I get the loan, and uh, and he calls me. He says, "We're going to give you a loan." Okay. And it's like a great LTV loan to value. It was like 80% of the purchase price was the loan. Wow. It was the first mortgage. Okay. I signed with recourse. I had no money, so I didn't really care because I was like, where are they going to come after me? Now I don't sign with recourse. Everyone just want to let you know. You might have to sign when you're younger. It's okay because you'll figure it out if you have an issue. So I get the loan. I go out and I spend two or three weeks. I raise a few million bucks. I am hustling on shoe leather. Back then, it was all shoe leather because you'd wear a suit, you had leather shoes, and you would drive or walk to go to meetings, and you'd sit in a conference room, and you might meet with three or four people in a day if you're lucky, and you really had to own your pitch and explain it and everything else. Mm -hmm. Or people would come to my office when I set up an office at the time. And uh, long story short, I, I did it, and we closed. And, uh, and, then, and then the next challenge happened. And I really learned. I said, okay, there's risk. I buy the deal. Remember, I signed on this ADLTV with recourse. Mm -hmm. I got nothing. First week, 45% uh, of the building, guy moves out in the middle of the night. It's a three-tenant industrial, or it was a two-tenant industrial property. I, I, it eventually became a three, and I'll explain that. So the guy moves out, I lose 45. Okay, well, that's gonna impinge on, can I pay the mortgage? which I still was able to because I owned it correctly, I couldn't pay my returns to my investors. Okay, this is my first deal. My track record's everything. Uh, people are betting on my expertise. Mm. So now I got a real challenge. I'm losing sleep. I don't have all the personal development Ben Reinberg has at 52 years old. I'm a young guy. Fear, 
sets in. So now I got to manage that. Okay. So I learned how to deal with challenges when I was young. And so what I ended up doing is I found a great broker. I explained it to my investors. We had enough reserves to carry the property. It became a three tenant building and I sold it for a three X multiple. And what I did was I learned, I said, I want to learn how to sell a property. So there was a company coming on the scene called RCM. This guy, Steve, Stephen Alter, he was older than me. He was the first technology was starting to become prevalent. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I got a database of 50,000 buyers around the country. I'm like, and I'm thinking like, who is a data? What is a database? Who has one? And what's a war room? It's basically like Dropbox or Citrix, mm -hmm. one of these, it's file sharing system. He, no one I ever seen it. And so he had a file sharing system with this huge database. So we create an offering memorandum, photos, the whole thing, text. He helped me with it. And I fielded the calls. I ended up selling it to a REIT. Came out, did the tour. The reason why I got involved in all the details was so I could teach it as I grew mm -hmm. and understand it and understand how to mitigate all the risk involved with the deal. And so that's what launched me that deal. I had money in my pocket. I made my investors a tremendous amount of money and it kind of springboarded me and gave me the wow. confidence. That was my first acquisition and then did development and project management and other things. And, and it allowed me to have the confidence to say, I can do this. And let me tell everyone out there, there's not times in my career where I haven't doubted myself or said, should I still be doing this? Or am I making enough money? Or am I doing enough deals or a terrible recession hits and, it scares the crap out of everyone because you see people going bankrupt and, 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 you know, you see like Lehman Brothers going out of business and all these things that happen. And it puts a lot of fear in all of us. It put fear in me. And so I also had to figure out how do I deal with all the nuances. So I start doing things to be competitive advantage, working longer hours, working on a Saturday meeting to put myself out there because I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. That's who I, Ben Reinberg is an introvert. It doesn't look and, like it today well, on this I'm, interview. I'm an introvert. <laughs> He's and letting it all out. I am because I'm, <laughs> I'm a different person, but ah, yeah, I am, not, generally speaking, I am an introvert in an extrovert world, yeah. in an extrovert position. I don't like going to seminars and conferences. For years, I hated going because I hated like, I was so shy because that's how I grew up. I mean, that's how I was learning as a kid is to keep your mouth shut, you know, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, uh, listen and don't. And, and, and so as I started learning, I'm like, no, I want to speak up. I want to be that person. So uh, it took me a while to get comfortable in certain situations. So I was at a disadvantage when I was younger, but I realized that if I could differentiate myself and overcompensate some of my challenges and my issues going on, then I could become a better business person, a better investor and wow. a better employer. And then, so that was my first deal. And I had challenges, I overcame them. And it was a wonderful experience because it taught me a lot. Every deal I've done to this day teaches me something. That's why I went back to the example of the deal we just closed and I'll go back and mm -hmm. look at it. Mm -hmm. It's because I've realized in my career that there's lessons in every deal, every moment, every person that I interact with. God is giving, I get, I've gotten very spiritual as I've gotten older. I know that God puts me in situations and puts people in my life for a reason. 
there's a reason why I'll be at the grocery store and some lady bumps into me mm. and maybe she hurts me or maybe I start a conversation with her or, or some guy I bump into at lunch. There's a reason behind that. And so I've learned to take that and say, why is this happening? You know, why am I here with you today? Yeah. Why were you at my studio for my podcast? Yeah, funny story. And how, share and how serendipity happens that way, right? <laughs> yeah. So I look at these things and I say, why are certain things happening? And so I always think, you know, live in integrity, your highest values, uh, be authentic who you are. People are not, everyone's not going to like you. Okay. No. I have investors that invest with me that don't like me. That's okay. They love investing with me. They don't like me. That's yeah. okay. Some, you know, I put myself out there years ago, uh, 19 years ago, I wrote a newsletter. Now it's a blog and it was unique at the time. And the lady, she was my marketing director and she's retired years ago. She was a real estate icon. I love her to death. And, uh, hopefully she could hear this is, um, she said, by the way, we're going to start writing this. And I wrote to like 100 people. Then become 5,000, 50,000, 100. It was growing wow. like weed. The problem was we were using my domain name. So it kind of got. So the problem uh, was the as Google and all these people can't see, they were throwing me in spam and stuff. And we're using different services. But we did all different types of cool things in our newsletter. And we did a Q&A with Ben once a month. It was our huge hit. They would teach it in conference rooms at the different brokerage firms because it was all about adding value, mm -hmm. okay? No one was really adding value in our business. I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put myself out there. We're going to talk more about real estate. We're going to talk about uh, relationships. We're going to talk about networking. We're going to talk about all these great topics. And because I was putting myself out there, those people that were, you know, I was getting emails that people that were anti-Semitic, uh, I got emails from people just, you know, ripping into me, whatever. And she said, she goes, that's going to be life. That's going to be your career. You're never going to make everyone happy. You're never going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I don't care if you look at me and you're like, I want to be Dak. I want to be Ben Reinberg. It's great. Be yourself. Yeah. Okay. It's great to be successful. It's great to have choices. It's great to have financial freedom. All the things I've been able to achieve and all the things that you can achieve out there. Mm. But be yourself. Don't be Ben Reinberg, okay? Don't be Sam Zell. Don't be Al Tobman. Don't be all these icons in commercial real estate. Make yourself who you are, okay? And live within yourself. You're okay. You're acceptable. You're, you're just like everyone else. I bleed just like you. I have challenges. I have mental challenges. I'm shy. I'm an introvert. Maybe you're an extrovert. Maybe you, you're better at certain skills than I am. But at the end of the day is... If you could surround yourself that can help you achieve where you want to go, it doesn't have to be commercial real estate, what I'm in. Maybe that's not your love or your passion. Maybe you're a coach or a mentor, or maybe you produce content, or you are in uh, the insurance business, or you know, you're an engineer. Whatever you do, become the best at what you like. Learn, become an expert. Value creates money. No one talks about it value will always create money. And I always said that like in my business, and let me give you an example of that because that's a really important mm -hmm. point. I always said to a young man or woman in, that worked for me, I said, if you understand the numbers, because commercial real estate is all based on numbers, 
You could sit in any meeting, any conference room, anytime, Amen. 24-7. Such because you're the most advice. important person in the room. Because I would snap my fingers. I would say, Susan, uh, what's the return if we do this and that? And she would go right to the investor and say, well, that would be That's a 13% value. return. So she's the most important person in the room. Yeah. So if you, so in my business, if you knew the numbers, because she was the expert, she understood the deal, she understood the risk. So she can explain it. So she all of a sudden built rapport with everyone. She mm -hmm. was like the goddess in the room. Mm -hmm. And that's how I live my life is mm. I want to provide as much value, much knowledge as I could share it. And you know what? Guess what happens? Money follows yeah. that. Oh, so and good. if no one tells you that, they're full of shit because <laughs> yeah. it's the absolute truth. Yes. I value it. It's the reason why when someone says, well, what did you make on that deal or how much you own to get back to your question? Everyone focuses on what's Ben own and how successful he is and all this. It's like, that's not where I think my value is. Mm -hmm. My value is my knowledge and the value I provide to my investors, my employees, because that's what makes me wealthy. Mm -hmm. And it will always make me wealthy. And I've shared that with my kids is that create value. Okay. The money will come create value. And I think it's, I think where my employees go wrong or people have employees go wrong and they struggle with is that the employee is so focused on the salary or everything else. They're, they're not looking and saying, well, if I really enjoy this and I'm adding value, then Ben's going to pay me well mm -hmm. because he needs me and he values me, he trusts me. And he knows he could turn his back and look the other way and know that if he falls, I'm picking him up. Mm. So if you're an employee out there or you're an entrepreneur or someone, is become an expert. Provide value. So Don't good. worry about money. I know it's stressful when you're young. I've been there. Okay. I've eaten McDonald's. I've eaten Subway, which was big when I was a young adult. You know, I've had to eat ramen. You know, I know ramen's big. You know, it's you know, so you know what? It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I didn't work out with a trainer five days a week like I do now. I worked out myself. This yeah, guy I, doesn't get I, his body by itself. No, he has to work on I got to work at it. But you know what? Like I would have shoulder injuries or back because I didn't know what I was doing. And then I started learning and then I hired a trainer and now I'm in great shape. I could be a little bit better shape, but over years, I've always been in great shape. It's because it was important to me, my health. But I couldn't afford. I had to, I had to take risks. I, I joined a health club in Bannockburn, Illinois, uh, in order to meet people and network. I mm -hmm. developed investors. I put myself in an environment, and I stretched myself. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to invest in this health club. And maybe it's going to be like, okay, well, uh, I'm not going to, like, Say you're a woman and you want to buy like an expensive purse. Well, you pick and choose. Where do, where do you want to put your time? I've always invested in myself. And that was important to me. I think it was a key to my success. Uh, I wish I would have put more into personal development when I was younger because right. I didn't really know about it. But I always invest in situations where I could be in situations and rooms to help myself. Yeah, And that was the difference. I stretched myself. So I've been there. I've been poor. Uh, I've been in situations where I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I never had a paycheck. So I'm living lump sum to lump sum. Yeah. Okay, I got five grand in the bank. How long is this carrying me? Right? And so I never had a salary. And I still don't. I get paid for 
uh, estate planning reasons, a salary, but, but I don't have a salary. And so, and I've never had one, I never will. Cause, and so for that being said, I, I just want people to know that it's okay to be in the position you're at. It's understandable. It's, I actually feel that if you grow up without wealth and a silver spoon, you're in a better situation to thrive because you're hungrier. And one thing people say, well, like Ben, how do you get motivated every day? And I, I never lose my hunger. I never forget um, the day I started. I never forget that first deal we talked about. I never forget the challenge that it took me down the river to get to where I am today. And that's the thing. If you work hard and you're persistent and you do all these little things, like I say, uh, you'll have success. Where I think success isn't created is where people give up. Mm. They look at something that they fail at and they take a step back and, and they say, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. This guy, you know, my friend, uh, you know, and everyone starts comparing themselves, which is the worst thing you can do. Don't compare yourself to others. I see so many people doing that. They're like, well, my friend's in this position and he's or she, he or she is making 90,000 and I'm making 30,000. Something must be wrong with me. No, I don't know. Maybe in two years from now, you're making 300,000. It's because you're in a better situation with better growth and a better mentor or teacher. So don't compare yourself to others. That's the worst thing you could do. It affects your mind and it makes you feel inferior mm -hmm. and it's not healthy for you. Live within yourself. And I had to learn that as young age. I was, you know, growing up in Highland Park, Illinois and with the wealth around me and I didn't have it. I was mm. always jealous. It was tough for me as a kid because, you know, you had people that had their own car. You had people wearing nicer clothes. You had people with jewelry. I didn't have that stuff. So I always felt inferior to that. And I realized as I got older, it's like, I'm just as good as these people. I'm even better. Yeah. And I look back and a lot of the people I went to high school with, I am more successful than yeah, that. That's usually how it works. And it, right. And so for me, I look at it and I'm like, you know what? If you grew up in a challenging environment, whether it was a rough neighborhood or you grew up in a wealthy area and you didn't have it or whatever is your situation, use that as your fuel. Because yeah. that was my, my fuel was I'm good enough and I'm going to work my ass off to show people yeah. that I am the best at what I do. I like it, man. And You're that, ripping that, it right and now. And that hunger, that hunger doesn't stop. You know, people are like, well, you're successful. Like, why, why do you have to work so hard? Mm -hmm. Why do you work on a Saturday? Why? Because I appreciate and I'm grateful for all those moments I've had to go through. And I realized how valuable they were mm. and what I learned. And I like to continue to learn. So... If I have to do something late at night or I have to wake up at the crack of dawn or I have to uh, skip something that's important because I want to do this and that, I do it because I don't forget those moments. I don't, I'm not grateful enough and lose that gratitude that I'm, I'm, I'm too good to do that, Ben. Mm -hmm. You're too good. You've grown. You're, you're too good to do that. I never have that mindset. I'm not better than anyone else. I might outwork you. I might find better resources, but it's from experience. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you can't be that person too and grow and become that person and become the expert. And 
the lesson today that I want everyone to get is create value. Become an expert at whatever you do. I don't care if you're a garbage man, be the best garbage man you can mm. be. I don't care if you're an actuary, be the best actuary. Whether you're in sports management, be the best. Because when you do that and you focus, and I had to, I, I learned, it took me time to learn this. I didn't just pick this up. Is that as I've learned over the years is that the more expertise I get in, in a niche and what I do, I create value. And also I could solve challenges, I could avert risk. And because of that, money and investors start pouring in mm -hmm. to that thought process. So create value. And if you do that, I could assure you, and you're persistent and you show up and you stay focused. And, you, and by the way, you're gonna fail. You are gonna fail and know that you're gonna fail. You're gonna fail multiple times. I do every day. I make decisions. I look back. I'm like, Ben, that was a stupid ass decision. Why did we do that? That's okay. I learn from it and I move on. And you know what? When I get involved in a situation that's comparable, whatever, I can adjust and adapt or bring in the right people. Yeah. And those are these little things. And people are like, well, how does it happen? Right. Where do you learn it from? Right. Where's the book? Where's the, where's the, uh, the magic wand or the crystal ball that gets me to this success? It's, it takes time, it's hard work, it's perseverance. It's Everything you just value. shared right there is, is really what it is, is it's, it's not, you know, like people overthink it. They think it needs to be some big thing, but it's like find ways to be the best you can be. Like you said, create value no matter what you are, you know, be able to understand that your situation now is not what it could be in the future. You were this, you know, average kid or however you want to describe it around this wealthy area. And now you're, you're one of the top. Everything you've been saying there, I mean, that was a lot, all right? So listeners right now, just I hope you're playing this on 1x speed because, you know, it's the type of thing you're just going to let it digest, right? You're going to try to take notes. You're going to try to really understand it. Just let it digest because now it's in your subconscious mind. You're hearing this man's wisdom. He's been doing this for decades. You've been on this, you know, earth for over half a century. It's, it's quite incredible to see. And we are definitely going long in this interview, but so worth it. I have a question that I like to ask each person is, what does creating your strategic life mean to you? Creating my strategic life means to me is living in my mission and who I am and being my authentic self. That's how I create my strategic plan. If I live within myself and I'm authentic, naturally who I'm supposed to become and be will happen naturally. Mm -hmm. And I strongly believe that. And that's, that's how I look at things. I look at things as there's a reason behind everything that happens. There's a reason why we, ch we uh, have to deal with challenges and struggle. There's realizes that uh, we are constantly learning. And so uh, what that means to me is being authentic, uh, living within my mission. And uh, one thing that I did that took me a long time is being grateful. Uh, gratitude has really showed me over the last handful of years how being appreciative of the people that come into life that do big things, little things, whether it be someone I just met, whether it be a neighbor, whether it be an employee, that's allowed me to create a strategic mm. plan that yeah. has allowed me to create success and, and, uh, and confidence and, and, and happiness. Yeah. 
Well, you definitely are authentic. And I know people can feel that. You're genuine. You're raw. There's no script to who you right. are. Right. And that is stra- strategic. That's, that's ways to be able to provide that to people. You know, last question here, and we'll wrap up here because it's been an amazing experience. It truly has been. I'm learning so much. I'm taking those mental notes just as much as listeners. Uh, is there anything else that you can think of? Anything that maybe you wanted to share? One, one takeaway, one thing that the listeners, if out of all of this, so much they just, you know, were exposed to, like one takeaway for them? Be yourself and don't explain or justify to anyone else who you are. If you like chocolate ice cream and your best friend likes vanilla, it's okay. It's okay. We're all different. You know, yes, we have the same organs and and we breathe and we bleed and all these things, but we have different tastes. And if you can understand that and respect it, but also be able to respect people for their decisions and their choices, you'll be a better person and you'll be able to live a better life that way by being able to accept that not everyone's gonna agree with you. Not everyone's gonna like what you like, but if you respect it, and you're not gonna agree with everyone, but if you can respect other people's opinions, mm. that's how unity is, is created. You know, someone asked me the other day, how is unity created in our country that's so divided? I think the biggest challenge we have is we don't respect other people's views. Mm. And we have this culture that says, well, if you don't, agree with me, I'm going to cancel you out Mm. or I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to live within your means. And I think that's a big mistake. I think what, uh, what separates us all is that respect factor. And I think it goes in business and personal life too, is that, and it goes to my point of gratitude when you can be grateful for everything that happens, the good and the bad. And like you said, that exercise of documenting and writing it down, it's a very comparable thing. It's saying, why am I grateful that I had this crazy challenge in my life that was so frustrating and so upsetting and created a lot of fear, but what were the benefits of it happening? And can I, be, and can I show that and be grateful that it happened and not regret it, yeah. not be shamed or, or my pride gets dented from it. So my lesson to everyone is, is, uh, is be, yourself, be yourself and, and know that not everyone's going to agree with you yeah. and it's okay. And that's, that's how I would leave it. And, uh, and that's what, uh, I've learned out over the years is that we're all different, but if we are grateful for what the value we each bring, that's why people say to me, um, you know, they say, you know, do you hire a certain type of person, mm-hmm. you know, race or religion? I don't look at that way, that way. I have friends that are, have, are from different races, different backgrounds, because what I do, and I would love, and I think it's the biggest issue we have in this country is I look at the person. Yeah. I don't care who you are. If we're different religions, different colors, man or women, I have a lot of women that yeah. work for me. And I look at the person because I could take someone that is uh, a certain skin color and one person is just a bad dude. And the other person is this wonderful, heartwarming, value-add person that I can't spend enough time with. I wish I could spend more with. So I look at people for who they are. Yeah. And I think if you're that person, that authentic and person that you could relate to everyone, because one thing I'm very good at is I could walk in a room 
and become friends with anyone from any background, any religion, any race, any age. We're, we have a gap between our ages. And so, but we still have a mutual Just respect. Just a small gap, right? Well, a small <laughs> gap, but, but a love. But, but again, it's, it's having that gratitude and appreciation for the value yeah. you provide me. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, and that's what I think is really important that I want everyone to get away with is that, so good. Is that if you could live in that realm, because everyone you meet, it's not about where they came from or their color or who, it's about how can you connect with them to provide value for them and I'll tell you one thing I learned in um, networking, and I've written articles about it, is that if you give and you're a giver, it will come back to you in yeah. spades. So, for example, I like to give referrals or resources where I could help people. And what I've learned from that is that when I need something, someone will jump yeah. in. Like I said, there's always a challenger and a supporter. A lot of in reciprocity. The world. Right. And so if you are out there with, you know, everyone uses this term open palm, which mm -hmm. I think is pretty cool. If you have that open palm approach and you're vulnerable, people will come into play. The other thing I want to share with everyone to wrap it up is that, and I see the biggest mistake with younger people, okay? It's because everyone feels they have to have this mask, mm. okay? You use it, imposter syndrome. Some people say a mask. Some people saying you know, fake it until you make it, which is fine. I understand that we all had to do it to get successful. But if you could, if you have a challenge or a problem or you don't know something, I think the biggest mistake I see in the younger generation is, you know, is lay it on the table. If you could lay your issue on the table, someone will pick it up mm. and help you. Mm. When you're vulnerable, it's the same thing. I don't know something or I'm, I, one thing people, I think like about me is that they say, well, he's wildly successful, but he always asks for help. Why does he do that? Because mm. I don't know everything. I'm not the expert in everything. However, I am an expert at, at being a lid on the table and bringing in a resource that will help me. So be vulnerable too. I think we went on. Keep, keep talking. So, keep talking. So be vulnerable and be your authentic self. And I can assure you, if, if anyone tells you differently, that is one of the key traits to become successful is having that ability to do it. You compel people, you attract people, you attract money. It all ties all together yeah. and it's a full circle. And that's what I've learned in 52 years. Has been perfect. I'm not always right. I don't claim to know everything, but I'm an expert in what I do and I'm an expert in the lessons that yeah. I've been able to incorporate to share with people that hopefully provide them value. And that's, nice. that's my next life is to take the lessons and advice and the people that have taught me and to share it with as many people because I feel that the knowledge and the value I can provide to people will help people. I don't want people to struggle like I did. I don't want people in commercial real estate to go on that same learning curve. No one taught me the business. I had a self-taught. And I felt that if someone like Ben Reinberg could have showed me at least a glimpse or a light of how to get to a certain point, mm -hmm. how much faster would my learning curve, how much more would life be enjoyable? How much easier would it be? That's what I want to leave your audience with. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. If there was nothing else that you guys took away from this episode, which is highly unlikely, that alone right there is 
is game changer. Be yourself. And, you know, it's so beautiful what you said is, it's like what Martin Luther King said. He said, you know, judge the man by the character and not the color of their skin. That's right. And it's exactly what you said. So, brother, so much wisdom, so much value. You have success that backs it up, which is awesome. You're not just some person that's preaching this theory. How do people find out more about you? If they want to partner with you, they want to follow your journey, where can they find you? There's a couple ways. Go to benreinberg.com. And Reinberg, how do you spell it? It's R-E-I-N-B-E-R-G. Okay. So first name Ben, ben www.benreinberg.com. Uh, you can go to my Instagram, at the real Ben Reinberg. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, TikTok. We're becoming a good name on YouTube. Uh, feel free, when you go to benreinberg.com, it has everything about me. We have a podcast called Ben Reinberg, I Own It. It's about owning every aspect of your life, some of the things we've talked about. Yeah. And, uh, and then also, feel free, if you're interested in commercial real estate and learning more, go to Alliance, and that's A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E. And then the next three words are, or next three letters are C as in Charlie, G as in George, Seasoncharlie.com. So it's alliancecgc.com. If you want, we have articles that I've written on commercial real estate, medical office. Uh, you could see how we run our company. If you want to invest in the new Alliance Medical Fund, it is going to be spectacular. Mm. I'm investing as well. I Amazing. love what we do. And that's the best way to just kind of get involved in my world. Guys, make sure you go follow him, connect with him. He's got great content on social media. I've been watching you for a while in that sense. And uh, if anything's commercial real estate, seriously, he's the guy. You've heard it from him. So, man, I just got to acknowledge you. It really was a blessing to have you here, to Thank have you. the way that we connected, which was I just randomly came with my my buddy to your your podcast. And we connected after. And it's all about relationships. Right. and. But you're authentic, you're genuine. I love how you take care of your health. You know, it's like, I don't feel like I'm talking to someone almost probably twice my age, you know, and that's that's the vitality that you're gonna have that goes into your family, your business, your relationships. And uh, I'm, in, I'm inspired by that because I'm like, man, if I'm doing this now, I could only imagine when I'm around your age. So thank you for, for setting the example. Thank you for being real, raw, sure. and uh, you know, if you guys, our only call to action here is the biggest takeaway. Tag this man, the real Ben Reinberg. Tag me on Jake Havron on Instagram, on your stories. Screenshot this, tag us. What was the big biggest takeaway? And put it out there because we will definitely be reaching back out to you, sending you love, reposting it. And um, that's just our mission is to help serve and to expand this message that this amazing human brought. So tag us on your social. And until then, we'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for having me. Having you here, brother. Appreciate Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Appreciate yep. it. Very grateful to be here. Absolutely. 